Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things. Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Afghanistan. What a catastrophe. I think it's all in everybody's mind right now. What we what we were doing there, where we're going to go from here, what this means for the country um, and the rest of the world, really going forward. Uh, but it just it, it's interesting. I was looking at some of the data on or facts on what happened, and we ought to remember that the United States was actually smart when we went in there in 2001. We had to go in and root out some of the uh, people attacking us, and we went in and we quickly aligned ourselves with the Northern Alliance, which was a group of uh, tribal chieftains, and we successfully created a coalition and, and, and beat the Taliban. And we did it by recognizing that the Afghanis were different from us. They had a different culture, um, military system, and set of beliefs, and we recognized that. Well, we defeated the Taliban, and then we immediately started engaging in country building, which we've had as we all know, um, no success with anywhere in the world. And uh, we ended up installing the most recent uh, president was uh, Ashraf Ghani, uh, who was, I think we've all read and, or heard, uh, fled Afghanistan with, uh, with $169 million in cash. Uh, I guess his suitcases were so stuffed that they couldn't, they couldn't get them all onto the plane. Um, so here we are. We've seen the spectacle of the planes flying out of um, the uh, Kabul airport. And with me to talk about this is, the, is my brain trust here, the really smart guys involved with the Bill Walton show. Um, we've got Rich McFadden, Greg Corumbus, and uh, Brian McNichol. And we want to get into sort of what we're all seeing and feeling, what we think is going to happen next. Greg, um, let's let you kick it off. Well, it's been a remarkable month and a half, almost two months now, since that July 8th press conference when Joe Biden insisted that it was not inevitable that the Taliban would uh, take over Afghanistan in short order. He was highly confident due to the numerical advantage that the Afghan army and other forces, especially with all that U.S. weaponry, would be able to hold off the Taliban. And of course, within just a few weeks, that proved to not be true. And since then, of course, we've had the... Uh, frantic evacuation efforts and uh, the very difficult prospect of trying to get people to the airport since the U.S. wasn't allowed outside of that airport perimeter. So that's been harrowing. And we've gotten a bunch of different narratives. First of all, you had Biden in July, like I just said, saying it was not inevitable. And then lately he said it was going to happen this way no matter when we pulled out. And then at the same time, you've got the Pentagon uh, saying that no one foresaw this. So how could you possibly be prepared for this? Yet they were ready for every contingency. So it's a very confusing narrative. I think they've been kind of flying by the seat of their pants because they didn't expect it to unravel quite that quickly. But just the way that this has happened, uh, that the, the constantly changing evaluation with Biden telling George Stephanopoulos will stay till everybody's out. And now, of course, because the Taliban wanted us out, we're out. Uh, the Taliban uh, said no more Afghans. There were no more Afghans. Uh, and so Joe Biden has seemingly negotiated this from a position of weakness for quite a long time. And the question now is what comes next? Will it be massive bloodshed? Will we be able to extract more people, even though our military presence is gone? And then what do other bad actors do with this? Uh, 
uh, image of U.S. weakness. What will it mean for China and Taiwan, Russia and Ukraine, and a lot of other places around the world? There's many, many questions there. Rich, uh, um, Brian. Yeah, how are you supposed to feel when you see a terrorist organization take one of your $50 million helicopters, fly it, learn how to fly it, and fly it over the city that they've just taken with somebody hanging from the bottom of the helicopter. How does that make you feel as an American to watch your equipment taken and using to kill other people that your military has spent 20 years protecting? How can you feel? I don't care who you voted for. I don't care what side of the aisle you're from. You see that image. You see people falling off of a C-17 trying to get out of that country. And it gives you a perspective that you, you might have never had in your life. If you've never left the United States of America, never been to another country, and you see images like that, how does that make you feel? It's powerful. Yeah, well. And I think this is a powerful moment for everybody in our country. And I'll tell you what, I think it's a powerful moment for Joe Biden showing how ineffective he is as a leader. I My thing is, what scares me about this is the just incredibly long list of things they were really completely wrong about, right? You mentioned, the, uh, Greg mentioned the speech by Biden in July, where he predicted there would be no quick overrun of the country. There'd be no Saigon-like <clears throat> taking off of helicopters from the rooftop, no routing of our our remaining people there out of the country, you know, then on the Thursday before the government changed hands, they said that uh, it would be, you know, well, the, our, the army might not hold for 90 days. It didn't hold for 90 hours. Okay. Everything they've said about this, they don't know what they're talking about. They have been completely wrong about all of it. So, and this is a multi, you know, they talk about a whole of government response to stuff. This is a whole of government failure, State Department, Defense Department, uh, Office of the President. Um, the, you know, the vice president is amscrayed to the other side of the world to not be associated with it in any way. Um, you know, we have to look at like the, comp the incompetence that went into this. And this is, you know, you can blame it on Biden. He happened to be sitting on the top and set all this into motion and everything. But, but you have to think about our whole government failed here. The, you know, you're talking about hundreds of bureaucrats who thought one thing and the truth was actually far different. It seems utterly devoid from strategic reality. Uh, you know, I'm not an Afghan. I'm not a foreign policy expert, but you look at a map and Afghanistan sits right in the middle of uh, Iran, Pakistan, India through Pakistan, uh, the Russian stands, you know, part of the Soviet state. By the way, it's got a border of 57 miles with China. And you've got four, four nuclear powers and one wannabe nuclear power surrounding this landlocked country. And we mismanaged almost everything. But the thing I think we did right is we had Bagram Air Base, which was loaded to the gills with, with weapons and defensive uh, capabilities and the ability to get any kind of our, our aircraft in and out. And the situation in Afghanistan, as I understand it, has been relatively stable for the last couple of years. We haven't had any American people uh, 
uh, killed. And it just seems like to the naive person, which I don't know, I'm exactly naive, but to the un somebody who doesn't know all the details, why do we need to do anything? Why not just leave Bagram there, pull things back to there, um, reduce our footprint, give up the idea of trying to install nations, but keep our keep our presence in that region. And right now, we have none. There's no, there was no pressure to do this. They said, you know, that uh, we do we want Bagram or the Kabul airport? We said the Kabul airport for some reason. They said, would you like all of Kabul yeah. to get this done? No, we only need the airport. Who made those decisions and based yeah. on what? Those are those seem like directly counterproductive decisions. Well, well the guy who got who they fired, there's a lieutenant colonel who they removed uh, from command. And then I guess he quit uh, the Marines or I think it was the Marines. That was his specific criticism. He said, what are we doing pulling out of Bagram? When we when we could have stayed there and secured secured our presence and let it go at that. Well, I think this moves to the 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 straw man argument that that Biden's trying to throw out there because he's said every time the execution of the withdrawal has been criticized, he says, "Well, it was either we leave or we have to massively escalate our presence in Afghanistan." That, that that's right. not the option that he had. No. Uh, he could have he could have stayed with the twenty five hundred. He could have added a few more depending on what he needed. Uh, but um, he wanted to be the president that ended the war, and he wanted to do it near the twentieth anniversary of nine eleven. That's why he moved the. The, uh, the withdrawal deadline from May 1st to September 11th itself before moving it back to August 31st. Uh, he wanted a talking point and it turned out to be a very costly. He one. got one. So, th so, so <laughs> this is one, this in our, ju in our judgment, there's like 99% domestic political considerations that led to this catastrophe. Yeah, there's no strategic impetus for any of this. The, 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 the pot was right, as they say in poker, right? All the money, you know, everybody was <laughs> at peace doing yeah. their thing, right? Could have happened next year, the year after, could have waited till it wasn't fighting season, you know, because what happens you know, is they go he's, stay with their families. You, you He's going to have to go back year. in there now and take Bagram, and it's going to be a disaster. Well, you cannot leave this. You, you just cannot it's totally evacuate. I, I, I don't and see let how that this... pot boil over. Well, who who in this chain of command, Lloyd Austin, Mark, you know, Mark Milley, uh, um, you know, Tony Blinken. I mean, who, you know, the who, one thing I saw, who, who, who's going to do that? that? I, I don't see them doing that. The What's private that? sector, the private sector has been amazing this past couple of weeks. I mean, just, just private or, you know, you got the private sector, you've got ex military going in there and rescuing people. You've got millionaires and billionaires, uh, contractors, uh, having their special ops, private forces go in there and rescue people. You've got journalists uh, using their contacts on the ground to go in and rescue people. And so a lot of the people that were rescued, especially in the first week or so, was all done by private ops. And it was bootstrapping to get these people out of there. So it will be interesting to see how that continues, because I don't think that people trust the Biden administration or the Pentagon at this moment to be able to secure our country in this region uh, for to look out for our best interests. I, I just don't think anybody trusts it. Greg? Well, Tony Blinken was now saying that we're going to keep trying to get people out who want to leave. That phrase, I think, has been their excuse for uh, not getting everybody yeah. out. Uh, I'm not sure how many would really want to stay at this point, but he says we've got all this leverage, all these diplomatic tools and I would argue that they probably had more leverage and, and, and tools uh, about 
48 hours ago as we record this and as they, they as they had a military presence on the ground there so so we'll see i mean they they keep arguing uh, okay now we'll see if the taliban's serious about becoming a member of the international community uh, and uh, interested in getting the international aid taliban's been around a long time the taliban doesn't care i mean if they can get well, the money they'll take it but it's not like they're about to change who they are uh, I, just to make the un happy I also think the Taliban's toast because now that what we've withdrawn, they're now facing those people I, those those gentle people I mentioned before who surround them. And I think China in particular would see Afghanistan as part of its Belt and Road Initiative. And they're going to be, you know, they'll do it economically. They'll come in, well, let us help you rebuild Bagram. Let us help you do this. And then Next thing you know, the Taliban up 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 to their eyeballs in debt, and China calls the loan, and China owns the uh, the airbase, something well, like that. That's one a scenario. Trillion dollars worth of lithium in Afghanistan. Yeah, the Chinese will, will be extremely interested in that. What about the Pakistanis? The Pakistanis have been supporting the the uh, Taliban. They, they well, but they're going to play the winning side, right? They, they're, yeah. they're, they're talking about people unmoored from any moral pretense at all. The ISI, the the, Palestine, uh, the Pakistani uh, intelligence service. But if you, uh, <clears throat> so what's left is, you know, if, the, if, if you're correct and things start going bad for the Taliban, you know, ISI will melt away again, as it always does. I mean, the other thing you got to worry about there is it's not just the Taliban. It's ISIS, ISIS-K, uh, and it's Al-Qaeda. Uh, so, I mean, there's a lot of people kind of fighting for to be king of the hill there. And uh, But I think you're right. It's China or Russia will end up being king of the hill. Well, and they're going to play real politic, which we seem to be incapable of playing. They're going to say, look, we're going to not rebuild this country. We don't care what kind of government they have. We just want to get those strategic assets in control of them and we'll we'll pay off anybody we have to you know if they want cash to get this we'll give them some cash that would be that would be how i see them playing the game particularly the chinese that's the language of the tribes in afghanistan it's whoever can pay them the most and we've seen that from day one i remember tommy franks who was head of central command in the early days of the war trying to get uh, one of the warlords to to work with him and the guy said no and finally he just brought him a huge duffel bag of cash and ultimately he got what he wanted and so that's what, what do they use the money for <laughs> what, what are they doing with the money i don't know you haven't, seen, you haven't seen their villas in Switzerland, um, you know. The, the, but the funny, I I was looking at the the, the guy who fled with all that money. Uh, you know, we we installed him, and he was a favorite of the of the global elite. And he was uh, wrote a book on restoring failed states, and he also gave a TED talk a few years ago. And in the TED talk, I mean, think about it. He gets hysterical. <laughs> He gave a TED talk, and Laughable. in the TED talk, one of his anecdotes was, look, you got to understand, Afghanis don't understand capital. They don't think about investing in productivity, improving things. They understand cash. <laughs> and he said that in a TED talk, what, I think it was 10 years ago, something like that. And that, uh, that's, that's the, so, but it seems, let me, let me probe a little bit on where this is going with this administration. It seems like this is part of a global withdrawal. We've taken our aircraft carrier out of the Pacific. We're no longer protecting Japan. They've run some war games, I understand, in the in the Pentagon, and they no longer think they can protect uh, Taiwan. Um, they've reduced and, their and missiles. China pretty much told them, told the world that. Yeah. 
Yeah, they and and and, and, they, and, and why they pull... would China share that little piece of information with us? You know, it's well, not you... just for our knowledge and understanding. Well, one last one last data point, then I want to throw it open for for chaos. But we also withdrawn a lot of our miss, missile support from Saudi Arabia because the left never got over the, the murder of this guy, uh, Baghdadi, or, uh, and so there, it's payback time, and now we're making nice with Iran again. And so this whole area has been thrown into chaos. Trump had this figured out. You know, like, isolate the Palestinians and the Iranians away from everybody else. Everyone else was on the same page, Israel and all the Arab states. And uh, Iran was on the other side with malevolent ends. And they came in, and it's one of the many things they have really screwed up in this country because they refuse to do things Trump's way. If Trump was doing it, it must have been the wrong way. So they renounced it. It's the same as border policy, energy policy, economic policy, all that stuff. They changed things for the sake of, of eradicating Trump from the American polity, and, and we are suffering for it. And people in uh -huh. Afghanistan and all over the world are suffering for it. I, I so agree. I, we had Russ vote, vote on the OMB director for Trump, and they had six billion dollars in the defense budget to re get to to relaunch our our navy capabilities, which we desperately need to do. Six billion out of a seven hundred billion dollar budget, and one of the very first things that uh, Biden did was cut that out. And it was almost like if Trump wanted it, we're getting rid of it. That's right. Well, wow. so, here's the question. Spend. Go ahead, Greg. I was going to say, I was just going to joke that clearly we can't spend $6 billion because we've spent, you know, three and a half trillion dollars already on infrastructure and COVID relief. And we got another three and a half trillion coming. What I want to know, Bill, and I want to hear what you guys think, is does Biden survive this? And Greg and I were talking about this the other day. And he thinks just because Kamala Harris is such a horrible vice presidential candidate or vice president that Biden survives and, and sticks out the four years. But there's already been calls for him to be impeached or to resign. Well, that's the theory about Richard Nixon, that the biggest blunder he made was naming Jerry Ford vice president because they now thought they could get rid of him because Jerry Ford would be, you know, OK and Kamala's not okay. I don't know. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you, but I don't know who the grownups are that make these changes. I mean, is this, is this, is this really still Obama? Is this really still v Valerie Jarrett and, you know, from their, from their headquarters in Colorado, uh, right across from the mosque? Is this still, I mean, are they still engaged in this, uh, this puppet show? I don't know. I don't see what the forces are that force him out right now. Um, you, you yeah, know, I don't uh, either. Uh, they control both houses of Congress. Can't do it through impeachment. Can't even get a vote on impeachment articles. Um, and there's really not another. Yeah, but 2022 is right around the corner, and uh, it's not after 2022. All, all all bets are off. But I think that right now um, there's no mechanism by which to remove him, and the Democrats. You know, have they've reached the point in this where they're making excuses and trying to act like, you know, it's a big positive. Oh, yeah, we went through the hard part, but now we're out of Afghanistan. Peace in the valley. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think Brian's got a good point there, because uh, one thing we've seen over the past uh, couple of weeks is how the media has been pretty tough on Biden, certainly compared to where, where they were before this and throughout the campaign. And then as soon as that last plane took off on uh, on, on Monday, 
uh, all the headlines were war's over, Americans are out. And there, there was still some discussion, of course, of the Americans and the Afghan allies and the green card holders left behind. But overwhelmingly, it was this 20 year war is over. Uh, obviously, salute to all the troops that served during that time. And, uh, and we're still going to be there to help the, the people in, in Afghanistan. And we're going to do it diplomatically. And it's going to be very interesting now if the media just gives them that one day of, okay, all the troops are out. Now we'll go back to the crisis that's still on the ground there. And the, not to mention the, the bloodshed that's likely to follow. Um, well, or now whether they're just going to pivot to the economic agenda well, or whatever well, else they, well, they would well, prefer well, if, to talk well, about. Well, well, if this was a domestic policy move in order to claim a victory, which of course blew up in their face, it was anything but a victory, but they thought they'd get a victory and they could use that as sort of some wind at their back to get the John Lewis voting rights back through the Senate and maybe get the $6 trillion or nobody knows how many trillions of dollars Pelosi's got in this in these bills. Uh, I do think they're moving towards the 22 election. If they don't get all this done by 22, I, they think they're going to get obliterated. And so yeah, at least Afghanistan the house, yeah. was a sideshow they wanted to get rid of so they could focus on the domestic agenda. Yeah, about, if the Taliban ago, does was, not. I was, there was the, just one quick thing. Uh, about a month ago, there was a poll of Hill staffers and 78% of the Hill staffers, both parties, said they expect uh Congress to change hands after 2022. They know what's coming. They're looking at the polls. I'm sorry, Rich, go ahead. No, well, I'm just <clears> going <throat> to say, if, if the Taliban does not shut off the internet service, if pictures keep coming out of Afghanistan, CNN can say all they want about where the war is over. These images that we've seen over the past couple of weeks and the ones we're about to see for the next six months are going to totally crush Biden's chances of getting anything done ever again. Yeah, and I think that the uh, the thing about the hanging the people from the helicopters uh, uh, that shows that they're. I mean, th this is going to be performative. They're going to make a point of giving us some TV to watch. Over Which there. I I I missed that image. They were there weren't people hanging from it like this. They were hanging people as in. Yeah, they're like this. From their it neck. Was, it was it was execution. <laughs> they executed somebody by tying them by their neck to a helicopter and flying over the city of Kabul. Oh man. And it's all over the news. Or all over the internet. I should there's say. more than one too. It appears to be like they're gonna do this a little bit. And Rich said something that's very interesting, but he had the word if in there, which is also critical, if they leave the internet on. I think Brian's right that they will want some imagery of uh, them taking control and, and punishing their enemies. But at the same time, at some point, they're probably going to try to cut it off. That's just their tendency is to not let the world see what they're doing. You know, when they further clamp down on, on women and girls and that sort of thing, and, and really uh, have the bloodletting here, uh, it's, I, I'd be surprised if they, if they, kept it as open as they are right now. Well, the, the, the thing I'm troubled by is I, I, I fear the press is going to forget this in a week or two or three and focus on the, uh, the domestic agenda. And this will be a, just another blot, but it's not going to be as catastrophic as it really should be. I mean, this Face, is, Facebook won't let the press forget about this. If you get images like that on social media, they're not going to be able to ignore it. What about the role of social media here? I mean, we've seen social media companies shut people down over 
over different theories about the lockdowns and the virus and the vaccines and the mask. I mean, has there been any social media censorship of this? As well, of that, this video we're talking about right now, it's, it's already, you have to uh, accept permission to see it because it is graphic. And so whenever it is posted, you, all you see is a grayed out box and then you have, so they are already aware of this video. And so I'm sure anything like that will likely be censored to some extent. Pretty soon we'll be told that, you know, the guy swinging from the helicopter is misleading information, lacked context or something like yeah. that. Yeah, that's a great word. Lacks. He, he's got the context. Yeah, he, he had context. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a great caption. Yeah. Let's talk about context. Well, Greg, you're the you're the political person here. I mean, where do you, where do you come out on 2022, as far as this uh, the effect of this? It's a long way away, and um, you know, I think we were talking about this in a previous meeting. Uh, the guy Robert Kelly, he's a professor in South uh, Korea. You might remember him as the guy who was on the BBC when his kids went came into his office while. Uh, he was on a live interview, but he had a tweet out a week or two ago and was saying, look, 2022 is so far away. Nobody's going to remember Afghanistan. It's all going to be domestic issues. And I think if we don't get a flood of graphic, horrible images, the media might be able to push towards things that are more favorable to Democrats. But that's assuming Afghanistan is the only issue of instability. And so when I look at what happened following the fall of Saigon, when you have relatively weak leadership in the White House, you have other people taking advantage of that. After the fall of Saigon, you had uh, at least a million, maybe millions of Vietnamese refugees, the boat people who we had to rescue out of the Pacific. You had the Khmer Rouge executing 2 million people in the span of a year or two in Cambodia. You had the communists infiltrating Angola and Nicaragua. You had the Islamic revolution in Iran and then Soviets going into Afghanistan. And so the idea that our rivals will not smell the opportunity here over the next, whatever it is, 14 months, it's hard to believe that they're just going to sit on their hands while that happens if they think they've got a good opportunity to finally do what they want to do, whether it's China and Taiwan, uh, uh, Russia and Ukraine, or, or, or somewhere else. I also think that, you know, waiting on good news out of domestic policy may not be a good bet either, because, you know, you're, you've had two straight months now of record inflation, uh, joblessness creeping back up, uh, a big homeless problem, gasoline a dollar and a half a gallon more than it was uh, when Trump left office. You know, I'm not sure that like uh, in a lot of domestic unrest, I'm not sure that that, uh, you know, shifting the focus back to domestic will be a positive for Biden by then. Well, I think one of the big factors here is China. You know, G's cracking down on Chinese companies, tech companies, consumer products companies, <clears throat> education companies. He's getting control. He really doesn't. He, you can see his. He wants to make his move, and I, I think he thinks the time to make his move on Taiwan, uh, it may be now, because oh, yeah. if you if you're if you're if you're Xi and you're looking at our fearless Fosdick. Uh, defense leaders you're thinking joy these guys are these guys i can play these guys that we're, we're they're, they're they're not going to do a thing to stop me and that may be the 2022 um issue but yeah they put the world at risk and us at risk in the world and 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 consequently a lot of other countries um the fecklessness is just unbelievable it's just um, the word i was thinking of that mother of the 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 killed marine 
use that word and it's just what was in my mind yeah, yeah it, that was another thing that blew up in his face you know he went to dover and all the people are saying he looked at his watch and he you yeah. know all he wanted to talk about was his yeah, that was, son and, yeah yeah mothers the bombs were highly critical yeah i just want to add one point on china i've been reading that uh instead of you know the typical hardcore military invasion they might try to economically Right. strangle Taiwan so it's not as overt on the world right. stage and eventually they're just going to force Taiwan's hand because of the, the greater and greater restrictions which is going to have a huge impact on our economy particularly the semiconductors which I think Bill you've talked about on previous shows too yeah we got I think the acronyms TCM Taiwan's well I, I can't remember the exact but anyway it is it is the there, there are three big ones and it's one of the it's the biggest of the three and 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 strategically critical um well, we're, we're, we're out of time, which always happens, but I don't think we've, <laughs> I don't think we've quite resolved where this is going, but I think we've raised the issues. Uh, Greg, Rich, Brian, anything, uh, anything you want to add? Well, I don't think, I don't think China wants a hot war um, with regard to Taiwan. So I think Greg is probably right that, you know, it'll happen some way other than just going and shooting them up, but they, they may, I mean, and they don't, they certainly don't fear us right now. Yeah. And you said, Bill, you were not exactly sure where this is going. Think about where we were a month and a half ago. Yeah. Uh, it's almost impossible to predict where we could be. And, and hopefully it doesn't head in the same direction. Well, that's about the time the four of us are going to need to get together again. Uh, <laughs> all right. We've been watching the Bill Walton show and you can catch this on YouTube and all the other major podcast channels, uh, as well as uh, streaming on CPAC, uh, CPAC now uh, on Monday nights at seven o'clock. And we're here with, we've been here with the Brain Trust, uh, Rich McFadden, Greg Columbus, and Brian McNichol. And guys, uh, let's, let's watch and take detailed notes. So we, next time we come back, we'll, uh, we'll see where this is going from here. So anyway, thanks everyone. And thanks for joining. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? Click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over a hundred episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.